You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh. Shout out to my fan club back there, family, friends, <laughs> and right here up front. <laughs> so guys, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hugo. I'm the youth pastor here at Calvary. And it is my honor and privilege uh, to be up here on a Sunday morning sharing with you guys. So, in the last couple of years, have been very interesting. I think we can all agree on that, right? And uh, one thing that my wife and I uh, started to do in these last couple of years is just try new things. Because we thought, like, you never know what's going to happen. Like, we never thought this would happen. But let's try to try as many of the things that we've always wanted to try. Let's, let's try to do it. So a lot of that is like, all right, well, how do we do things? So we spend a lot of time on YouTube, right? Google, you know, finding out stuff, how to fix a light socket or whatever, or how to cook a certain meal. And as you can tell, I did a lot of that, you know, cooking a lot of meals, eating a little bit too much, right? <laughs> but one of those nights, you know, when you're going through YouTube, well, I don't know why this is always the case, but you look up like, I don't know, how to mince garlic or something, right? If you don't know. And you're watching the YouTube video, and then you see recommended. You're like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. And before you know it, you're like an hour deep, and you're watching pimple-popping videos for some reason. It always ends there. It always leads to pimple-popping. I don't know why. And I don't know why I can't stop watching. But <laughs> it's a little gross, but I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's so captivating. Anyway, so <laughs> in one of those nights, you know, going down the YouTube rabbit hole, we find these videos of these people mountain biking. Any mountain bikers in the crowd? Right there, a couple. I see a few hands. Uh, meet with me after. We're going to have a little conversation. But So we start watching these videos, and it's amazing. The things that people do on these bikes is insane. Like They have better balance on a bicycle than I do on my two legs. Amazing. So it's super cool. You see them going through these trails in the mountains. I'm like, man, i got to try this. But in case you didn't know, there are actually mountain bike trails here in South Florida, even though it's like... Phew, the only mountain we have is the landfills that pepper our area. But so we looked it up and I'm like, man, we got to try this. I'm like, Nat, my, I told my wife, Nat, we have to try this. We got to do it. She's like, yeah, you try first and then I'll see if I tag along. So that's what happened. Fast forward, you know, a, f a couple months, we're both into it. We're really into it. We start riding, you know, a few times a week. And it's like, we're, I, especially me, completely obsessed. I'm looking up parts and all that stuff. Anyway, that's not the point. But um, fast forward a few weeks after that, you know, after we're getting comfortable on the bike, going through the trails, we're starting to learn. So, man, we got to try these expert trails. So for those of you that don't know, mountain bike trails are graded like, uh, like ski trails, which you probably might be more familiar with. The green trails are the beginner trails. The blue trails are the intermediate trails. And then there's the black diamond. And it always says, warning, expert only. And then there's double black diamond and the red diamond and all that stuff. So one of the local trails has this feature, and from the very first time that I rode at that park, I looked, and I was like, man, that looks so cool. I have to try that. But I was like, let me build up to it so I don't break every bone in my body. So start riding, and one day I finally decided, I think we have a couple of pictures. So there's the warning. If you notice, it says warning in bright red, so you know what's coming. And it says, expert downhill ahead, no intermediate riders. 
And at this point, I'm like beginner intermediate writer. You know what I mean? So I was like, I could probably do that. So I go and I start going through. And then there's like this really steep part to get up there because it's very high up. And as you know, there's no elevation here. So it's all fake. So I'm pedaling uphill. I gas myself out and I look. All right, here we go. Start pedaling. And I get to, next picture, the ledge. So if you're looking at it, it looks pretty steep. When you're there in person, it's terrifying. It's so scary. And every time that I rode up to it, and it took me like six or seven times that I'm riding up, and I just stop here like, oh, man. Should I? No, okay, let me try. And I start going, oh, no. Okay, okay, let me back up. So maybe like about the 12th time that I had done that, then I was like, all right, this is going to be it. And then I noticed that there's some people that are coming up from behind. So, you know, I try to be the respectable mountain biker that I am. There's people coming up that are going faster than me, so I step off to the side, let them go through. And I see them, I'm like, man, these guys are good. They got the tight spandex on. They got the 100 water bottles everywhere. I'm like, these guys mean business. And they start flying through. And as they're getting closer, I was like, wait a second. These are kids. And I'm not talking like 17 or 18-year-old kids. Or I'm talking like 12 or 13-year-old kids. And they just, hey, are you okay? My, are you okay? Do your parents know you're here? Do they know you're doing this? So as you can imagine, myself as a grown man, seeing these 12-year-old kids zip by me like if it was nothing. I was like, all right. If they did it, I have to do it. There's no way I can leave the park here today without doing this. So I go, all right, this is it. It's happening. I ride up to the edge, and I plant my feet. Those kids are crazy. Who does that? Who's, who's, where are their parents? Why are they here? Do your parents know you're here? So unfortunately, that day, I did not do it. I wish I could tell you that I did and just soared into the sky and did a cool backflip or something, but I didn't. I let fear win that day. But don't worry. A couple weeks later, I did do it. I faced my fear. That's right. You can clap for that. But truth be told, it was only because my wife, Nat, went first, and she did it, her first try. So there was no way I was leaving the park without doing that if she did it. So, yes, my bravery, it wasn't bravery, it was pride. That's why I did it. <laughs> my pride won out. It was stronger than my fear that day. But, you know, all of us can identify with that, with that feeling of fear, right? And especially when it's something real, not just being silly on a mountain bike. You know, get to the edge. You're not... You know, you don't want to take that step because you're afraid. That fear of not doing well in work, not doing well in school, fear of sickness, fear of the future, fear of embarrassment, fear of failure. Now, the funny thing about a lot of those fears, and especially for me, is I always think of the worst case scenario. And I think that that's what's going to happen. And all those things that I'm always so afraid of, they never happen. So have you turned down an opportunity or something that you're passionate about? because of fear? Has it gripped you and limited your pursuits? We've all battled with those thoughts, with these thoughts of, what if I'm not good enough? I couldn't possibly do that. There's no way. What, I don't want to do it wrong, so I'm not even going to bother trying. I'm going to avoid it at all costs, just so I don't look like a fool. Again, I'd rather just not do it than to fail trying. And let me tell you, I've had those thoughts, and then some. And we're pretty good at talking ourselves out of opportunities, right? We're pretty good at that, especially me, to myself. 
But what if today was the day that that changed? What if today we faced fear and introduced him to our God? So today I want to talk about overcoming fear with faith. And uh, before we get started, I want everyone to take a moment and look back on your life. And I'm almost 100% sure that everyone in here has done something that you were afraid to do because you thought you would fail, but you did it and you succeeded. However small, however big. Think about maybe a promotion that you took or a job that you, that you accepted that maybe you thought you weren't qualified for. Or maybe you actually weren't qualified for it, but you took a step of faith and God had your back and you excelled. Or maybe becoming a parent. That one terrifies me personally. But <laughs> shout out to the parents out there. But, you know, was there a move that you were fearful to make, but you did it anyway? How did that turn out for you? Chances are you have at least one memory, one moment in your life that you were fearful, but you still move forward in spite of the fear, and you overcame. Now, I want to make note of that. The reason why I called that out is because I want to remind you that if you've done this before, you can do it again. God carried you through your fear before, and you made it to the other side. So he can do it now. Now, overcoming fear with faith is all throughout the Bible. But today we're going to focus specifically on Moses. So, specifically kind of when Moses arrives to the burning bush, right? So what had happened before then? Moses killed someone. Crazy thing, right? And here God is telling him that he's going to use him to free his people from Egypt. Now think about if you're Moses and you're feeling that weight of what you've done. God, you can't use me. So we're going to see kind of the way... um, Moses interacts with God and kind of what happens. And we see that, that he gives these excuses. And we're going to go over these five excuses that, that Moses gives to God when, he, when God tells him that he's going to use him to lead his people out of Egypt. So we're going to pick up in the dialogue. It's Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. We're going to pick up there. It says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So what an amazing moment, right? God tells Moses, I'm going to use you to bring my people out of Egypt. And what does Moses do in this moment? is what we often do, is present an excuse. So this first excuse he gives, I am a nobody. He told God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people? And God, I don't know about you guys, but I identify with that 1,000%. We've, I've used that line, geez, hundreds of times. Who am I to blank? I'm sure you've used that line too. But what's important here is Moses, it, it didn't matter what he thought of himself or what others thought of Moses or what he thought others thought of him, that wasn't important. God had just spoken, and that's all the assurance that he needed to know that he was the right man for the job. He was doing what we always do in these, in these situations, is look at ourselves instead of looking to God by faith. So that assurance that, that God gives Moses, I will be with you, that is all the assurance that we need as God's servants to succeed. So, of course, how does Moses respond? He says what I've said a lot. He's like, okay, yeah, but 
that's cool, but, right, another excuse. So we're going to read up in verse 13. We're going to pick up. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So Moses' excuse here is one that gets used all the time. Is I don't have the knowledge. He's hiding behind his insufficient knowledge. That's what he's doing. And we've, we've all done that at some point or another. Now, as a representative of God, right, Moses had to be able to disclose God's character to the Jewish people. And, of course, God's name, Jehovah, was known at the time already. It had been known for centuries. And it was familiar with, uh, with the patriarchs, right? But what Moses is kind of really asking here is more, what does your name mean? Like, what kind of God are you? That's kind of what, what he's trying to get at. And God explains that that name, Jehovah, which is a dynamic name that's based on the Hebrew verb to be or to become, that he is the self-existent one who always was, always is, and always will be, the faithful, dependable God who calls himself I Am. And centuries later, Jesus would take on that name, I Am, and complete it. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine, and so on. And the eternal God knows from the end to the beginning. And he was able to tell Moses exactly what would happen when he returned to Egypt, literally. He told them exactly what was going to happen, that the elders of Israel would accept him as their leader and believe the message that God was about to deliver them, that the Pharaoh would resist God's message and suffer the terrible judgments of God, and the people of Israel would be delivered from the land and spoil the Egyptians and receive the wages that they hadn't been paid during their years of slavery. So even after hearing all of this, where God literally tells them what's going to happen, he's still fearful. He still has that fear. And we're going to fast forward a little bit to Exodus chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 1. And this is what Moses answered to God after he tells him everything that's going to happen. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake and turned it back and turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. When he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So here we have this amazing moment where Moses tells them, what if they don't believe me, right? And that's something that we can relate to, right? What if no one will believe me? Believe in me? But what he's kind of really saying is that he doesn't believe. By questioning that, he, he's kind of, that's really what he's pointing at. 
And, you know, he's concerned with his credentials, you know, before the Jewish elders. So God gives him these three signs, these miracles that he's able to perform, not just so that the elders would believe, but that so Moses himself would believe also. And that this moment marked a moment that from now on, Moses is going to experience God's power and work miracles. So as you could probably guess by now, Moses presents another excuse. And this one we find in, uh, in verse 10. It says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And this, personally, is one of the excuses that I relate to probably the most, is I don't have the ability. And here is such a powerful moment, and Moses kind of completely misses it. This whole message of God's name and God's miraculous power that he literally just witnessed. You know, it's foolish for us to argue that I am not when the God I am is what we need in every circumstance of life. It's foolish for us to argue that. If God can turn rods into serpents and serpents into rods, if he can cause and cure leprosy, if he can turn water into blood, then he can enable Moses to speak his word with power. And then Moses, again, was making that mistake that we always make, is to look at ourselves and what we think we're capable of doing or not doing instead of looking to God. The God who is able, who made us, he's able to use the gifts and abilities that he's given us to accomplish what he assigns us. But kind of what makes this fear a little bit dangerous, if you will, is that that fear that, that you might have of, that you're not good enough, that you don't have the ability, it often disguises itself as humility. Now again, humility is not just thinking poorly of yourself. It's simply not thinking of yourself at all, but making God everything. The humble servant thinks only of God's will, only of God's glory, and not our own inadequacies or successes or failures. But as we often do, and as I often have a bazillion times, his clothing is unbelief in this hollow confession of weakness. But even after all this, Moses still questions. He still has fear. And we see this next section. Is, it's a little bit different what happens here. And we're going to pick up in verse 13. Uh, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to, you, to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Someone else can do it. That's such a dangerous thought to have because in some senses it's true. But you have to shift your perspective that sure, somebody else can do it, but God wants you to do it. He's giving you an opportunity to step up and to do that. And we understand that attitude, right? Somebody else will take care of it, right? It doesn't have to be me. And there's kind of a powerful lesson here in, in, in this passage is that when, when we get our way, 
because Moses kind of did a little bit here, right? God told him, okay, fine, here's Aaron. When we get what we selfishly want, that gift, quote unquote, it rarely turns out to be a blessing. Some of the most painful lessons that we learn often come through God letting us have our own way. So in his anger, God appointed Aaron to be the spokesperson for Moses, but Aaron wasn't always a help to his brother. It was Aaron who cooperated with, with the people and, and helped you know, make this golden calf that they were worshiping instead of worshiping the Lord while Moses was away. And Aaron and his sister, they were critical of Moses and his wife, and, and they often brought a lot of trouble to the camp once they left Egypt. Now, you'll see if you keep reading in the subsequent events, there's proof you know, that Moses was very capable of speaking God's word with power, both to his own people and to Pharaoh, and as the story of, of Israel unfolds, you find Moses delivering very eloquent messages in the power of the Lord. And the lesson here is plain. God knows us better than we know ourselves. So we have to trust him and obey and accept those challenges that he presents before us. When we tell God our weaknesses, we're not telling him anything that he doesn't already know. The will of God will never lead you to where the power of God can't enable you. So you have to walk by faith in those promises. And again, it's easy to sit back and listen to the story, read this message, and it's like, Moses, come on, man. He literally did miracles in front of you. Just go. What's the big deal? But trust God, right? It's easier said than done. But how many times do we do exactly what Moses did? We question and we doubt ourselves and we find every excuse, every reason. My shoes are not tied. Oh, it's too cold outside. Whatever. We always find those little reasons why we're not able to do what God has called us to do. So ask yourself, what's been placed on your heart that you keep pushing away because you've convinced yourself that you'd fail before you even got started, so you shouldn't even bother? We can look to Moses and we can see that he ended up saying yes. He ended up stepping out in faith despite all his fear and despite all his insecurities. And we see story upon story of his walk with God poured all throughout the Bible. Moses choosing faith over fear led to leading the people out of Egypt and out of slavery. Led to witnessing the power of God through the plagues. Experiencing the Passover and deliverance into freedom miraculous rescuing through the Red Sea, the provision from heaven in the desert. But each one of those blessings that Moses experienced, they were all on the other side of his fear. And there's blessing for us on the other side of fear. We just have to hold onto God's promises and trust him and believe him. In Deuteronomy 31.6, it says this, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And this is such a powerful promise. God himself personally pledges himself to us that he will go before us, that he will never fail us or leave us. And when we're afraid to take a step, when we're afraid to step into what God has called us to do, this is where our thoughts should dwell on God and on his promises to us. God tells us not to be afraid. He tells us that he has good plans for us, that he hasn't, the spirit of fear is not from him, but he's given us a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. Think about it. What if Moses missed this opportunity 
because of fear. Moses didn't know when he was there before the burning bush what God had in store for him. But he stepped out. He took that step of faith despite all his fears. And we see the blessings that have happened because of that. Despite his fear, he took that step of faith and he answered God's call. So what do we do when fear has a hold of us? The first thing you have to do is define your fear. Now, obviously, not all fear is harmful, right? Fear is a mechanism. It keeps us safe from danger. You guys seen those guys that jump from, like, rooftop to rooftop, and they're hanging on the side. My palms get sweaty just talking about that. These guys are crazy. Obviously, that's a good fear, right? Or in my case, you know, breaking my bones on a, on a bicycle. But, you know, things like that are, are dangerous, and God gives us an appropriate fear to keep us safe. But most often, though, our issue with fear is about not trusting God with the direction of our life. Fear tells you that you're alone, that you're helpless, that you're not good enough. But we need to realize where in our lives is fear latched itself to? Where is it a problem? And we need to attack our fear with this. And it's question your fear. Fear does its dirty work by asking questions. It asks you questions about you. It asks you questions about God. It asks you questions about your future. And it makes you doubt. So how do you fight back? You fight back with your own questions. And here's a few questions to get you started. Who's bigger, God or your problem? Who loves you with a never-ending love? Who promised you eternal life through his only son in a place where fear will be no more? Who knocked down the walls of Jericho? Who parted the Red Sea? Who saved Noah from the flood? Who really took down Goliath? Who died on a cross for your sins? Who defeated sin and death? Jesus also asked a question about fear. We see in, in Matthew 6, 27. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? In other words, what has fear done for you besides hold you back? When has it ever solved any of your problems? When has it ever been your friend? Has it helped you? Probably not. Ask those questions and do this. Replace your fear. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the willpower, right, to just listen to this and, cool, I'm never going to be afraid again. That was easy, right? We can't do that. I wish we could. If I could wave a wand or something, make it happen for you guys, I would. But when we're faced with fear, we can decide that we're going to respond differently than we have in the past. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says it this way. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you face fear, you have a few options, right? You can let it take over. You can lay down on your bed, stare at the ceiling, and tell yourself that you're never going to be able to do that. You can try to do it on your own, but that's probably not going to work out either. Or you can believe the promises that God gives us and you can walk in faith. Now again, it doesn't mean that fear is just going to magically disappear and go away. And you're never going to be afraid of anything ever again. But the, the point of the Christian life is not to be problem free. It's to be with Jesus. And one thing that he's promised us is that if we repent of our sin and we trust in him alone as Savior, that we get him for now, for forever. And we get the confidence to walk our lives, walk our paths 
with the confidence that God is with us and that what he calls us to do, he will help us see that through. So when you feel like you're not good enough or you don't have the knowledge or the ability to do what God has called you to do, remember the story of Moses. Remember that same power that, that caused him to witness all these miracles, that pulled the slaves out of Egypt, that same power that parted the Red Sea, the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. All you have to do is take that first step and do what God has called you to do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for bringing us here safely, Lord, to learn about your word, to worship you, Father. I pray that we never take that for granted, God. And I pray now, and I thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've given us, Lord, that you'll always be there with us when we're facing these fears, when we face these mountains that we think are impossible to get through. I pray that you give us the boldness, the courage to step out in faith and trust you and trust in your promises, God, that you'll be with us in every situation and give us that peace, Lord, that transcends all understanding, Father. Thank you, Lord, and I, again, just help us take that step of faith, God. And I know it's difficult, but I pray that everyone in here today, Lord, truly receives this message, Lord, and they can draw closer to you, God, and take those steps of faith. Thank you for your son. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.